Welcome to Awareness to Action, a podcast brought to you by the Northwestern Community Services Board Prevention Department. I'm your host, Casey, a social worker and prevention specialist here in Virginia. Our podcast goal is to promote wellness through conversation, connection, and action. We hope each episode will leave you feeling inspired and motivated to look for ways to get involved in your own community. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Today, I am so excited to welcome to our podcast, Miss America 2020, Camille Schreier. On December 19th, 2019, Camille earned the job of Miss America 2020 after competing live on NBC. As a doctor of pharmacy student and certified naloxone trainer, Camille's year of service is dedicated to reducing opioid misuse, medication errors, and the associated mortality of both. Camille has spent the past year connecting with communities across the country, bringing awareness to issues that we hold very close here at Awareness to Action. Today I'm talking with Camille about her social impact initiative, what it means to respect medication, the significance of naloxone, and of course, what it's been like to wear the crown during this complicated year. We recorded this episode amidst the pandemic, so Camille is joining me via Zoom. Camille, welcome to the Awareness to Action podcast. We are so excited to have you on the show and to learn more about the important work you're doing all across the country. Thank you so much, Casey. I'm really excited to be here and to talk about the issues that I get to work on as Miss America. Uh, Of course, it's been a little bit different this year than I had expected, um, but I've still been able to continue the advocacy work that I've been doing. Yeah. I'm so excited to hear about how you're making it work in this very unique year. Um, Camille, why don't you start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and your story? How did you go from Pennsylvania to Virginia to the national stage? Oh my gosh. Uh, Do you have a year? Because it is quite (laughs) a long story, honestly. So I grew up outside of Philadelphia and I really never moved. I was here in um, a suburban Philadelphia for my entire life and Long story short, I actually moved to Michigan for college for a very short period of time, and I thought I wanted to be a chemical engineer. And like all young people who think that they want to, they know what they want to do, and then they realize that they don't, I quickly realized that I didn't like where I was, I didn't like my major. And so I actually came home. I came home and did community college for about six months, and I applied to transfer at different universities. I had gone to a camp for women in STEM who were, you know, thinking about different STEM careers, but they weren't really sure what they wanted to do. And that camp was at Virginia Tech. And I loved it there. I was a junior in high school. I was just starting the college application process. And I did apply to Virginia Tech. I got in, but I chose that other school in Michigan over Virginia Tech. So when I decided that I was going to transfer, that was immediately on the top of my list. It was somewhere that I had thought that I maybe wanted to go, but I'm glad that I ended up going there actually second because I think it made me a lot more grateful for what that university could offer me. So I went there, I got a degree in biochemistry and another one in systems biology. So I actually had two pieces of paper, which is kind of cool. (laughs) Um, And then I interned in a pharmaceutical company while I was in undergrad, realized I wanted to go to pharmacy school then went to pharmacy school. And in the midst of the chaos of my first year, I added more chaos by deciding to compete for a local competition that led up to Miss Virginia. And I did not lose at any point. And so I made it all the way to Miss America and I won Miss America. So not something that was always in the plan, but something that came about more spontaneously and organically and has been 
a new part of my journey. What an exciting story. <laughs> and I'm very impressed with how neatly you just wrapped that up. <laughs> yes, I'm sure Thank there you. were so many more twists and turns to it than just that. Um, yeah. So like you said, you have two degrees from Virginia Tech, biochemistry and systems biology. And I know you're pursuing your doctor of pharmacy from Virginia Commonwealth University, which go Rams. I too graduated yeah. from VCU. Um, and on the Miss America stage, you broke from tradition to perform the catalytic decompensation of hydrogen peroxide. And I share all of that to say that you clearly have a very robust understanding of the science of medication management and opioid misuse, um, but I'm so curious, where does the passion for this work come from and what brought you to it? It's really interesting that you ask that because a lot of people assume that I have a personal connection to substance use disorder or the opioid epidemic, and I actually don't, which is probably the more curious piece of this because it comes from my innate interest in medications in general, which is what want, made me want to go to pharmacy school. I grew up with a mom who was a nurse. And so I was very aware of medic medicines and what medicines could do to your body and the fact that they could hurt you, but they could also help you. And that there was a fine line between those things. And that was something that I grew up with, which I think is actually really rare. And I'm grateful that I had that understanding as a child. But I never had substance use disorder in my family. I didn't see really any substance use even in my high school and college years. And so I seem almost naive to the issue, but when I got into pharmacy school and I took a naloxone training course and understood what the opioid epidemic was and how it was affecting communities and how widely it was affecting communities and the fact that why did it take me that long to understand how much it was affecting people and how it's not talked about? And then as someone who potentially would like to work for a pharmaceutical company one day, I feel like I have an ethical responsibility to do something about talking about these issues that sometimes those of us who are trying to help people and create medications that can change people's quality of lives, there's an ethical impact in our communities with that. And we've seen that with companies like Purdue Pharma, who maybe did not act so ethically. But as someone who might be the person handing that medication over to a patient, or maybe could be working for a company producing that, I feel like I have a duty to be able to address this. And also just from a personal perspective, the fact that so many people and families are affected by this and I think it's really interesting when we think about substance use disorder, how it really affects people outside of just that individual who is taking the substance or struggling with that disorder. It's affecting their children, their family, the people around them, the community, the healthcare system. It's really, really widespread. And so throughout this process, I have learned so much about substance use disorder, more than I ever think I would have um, it's made me a lot more empathetic to people who are struggling with this. It's made me understand it. And the more that I learn about it, I have to be honest, I become so much more passionate about it because I think that it's something that's just not focused on enough because there's this stigma associated with it. So if I can do anything to be able to, to change that, uh, I feel like I can. So definitely an interesting story of how I came about this, but it's, it's so sad when I meet people who have this as part of their life. Um, and if I can do anything to change that, that's my goal. That's beautiful. And I think 
um, what feels really important to me about that is that you said you didn't have a personal connection that drew you into this, but that it's become so deeply personal to you. Um, I feel like sometimes we think we need a whole personal history with an issue to have, I don't know, this like made up credibility for getting engaged with it, but that's just not true. I think whatever sparks our interest and, and when we find a way that we can help, mm-hmm. then we should just run with it. I don't know You're if you have so thoughts right. on that. I, I completely agree. And I think that a great way to describe that is imposter syndrome, um, where I often will go to events and I feel like I can't always relate to the families who are struggling with this. But I will say that the more families and stories and parents and and students that I meet that have been affected by this, the more I feel like I really understand what it means to be struggling with substance use disorder. And I think that people that do struggle with it, and then there's people that really just don't understand what it is. They come in and they try to feel like they're involved in some way. It becomes frustrating for people that really deal with this on a daily basis. But I really take the time when I'm with people who have the personal experiences to try to understand what those experiences were for them, how it made them feel, how it affected them. Because I think having that knowledge kind of gets rid of that imposter syndrome because I kind of live through their stories and can carry those stories with me. And I have the opportunity to have this platform that other people don't have. And so if I can use their stories in conjunction with my platform, then I can be really effective in making change. But I do sometimes feel like an imposter a little bit. So that's why I'm always very honest with the fact that, you know, I don't have a personal connection to this, but I'm passionate about it. And I'm trying to understand what it really means. And uh, I'm really grateful to have been really well accepted in the recovery and substance use disorder communities. And also the academic side of this, because there's so many different groups Um, that work on this and are affected by this from healthcare to research to people that are really living it every day. And I mean, it's, it's a whirlwind to go from talking about this from, you know, the brain chemistry perspective to how someone is dealing with the criminal justice system in terms of different types of charges and decriminalization. It's so, so complex. And every day I learn something new about it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So, so complex. And, uh, just so critical to be connecting those dots and connecting the personal experiences that you learn from with the chemistry, with the socioeconomic factors. Um, I just think that's so important. So props to you. Thank you. It's definitely a challenge, but we work through it. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad that you mentioned your platform because your social impact initiative is titled Mind Your Meds, Drug Safety and Abuse Prevention from Pediatrics to Geriatrics. And as a prevention nerd, I just love that title because it truly is something we should all be concerned about from young age to old age. Um, Can you speak a little bit to why you chose to make your initiative so inclusive? I love that you were able to identify the inclusivity in that because that was by design. That was very intentional because as Miss America or even Miss Virginia or Miss Dominion, which is where I started before I even went to Miss Virginia, I wanted every person that I met throughout the process at any, you know, whether or not it was a gala or a fashion show or a charity event, any person that I met to have, you know, been related to what I advocate for. So when we think about medications, 
I, I do a lot with medication safety in general. And there's really almost no one that I've met in my life who has never taken a medicine of some kind in their entire life, or if they are a parent that they have never given their child a medication. This is something that relates to literally everyone and is something that anyone could learn more about. And so I wanted my platform to be relevant to all people and that it didn't matter where I was, that I was able to make an impact. So I really say that my platform has two wings. The one of them is the medication safety, where I do a lot with parents and kids and students in terms of just respecting medicines and substances, which I feel like is something that we really lack in our country. People don't really measure things. They don't really have care for over-the-counter medications, or maybe they are looking for a you know one-size-fits-all cure pill just to make them feel better. Just give me something to make me feel better is kind of that mentality that we have. But then of course, as we started talking about in the beginning, we also have the opioid epidemic and we have substance use disorder in this country that is skyrocketing, some of which stems from medications. And so that medication safety piece can work in the prevention aspect of that. And so all of these things fall together and it's really been eye-opening as I go to things. And I mentioned like, like fashion shows, which is what you would think of like the traditional Miss America event being. But I'll go to things that are very traditionally Miss America and I'll have people come up to me and tell me about their child that is struggling with substance use disorder or someone in their life that was lost to an overdose because they know that I talk about this. And so it's exactly why I chose this, but it's sad when I realize that no matter where I go, I meet people that are affected negatively by what's happening. And so it's just all that more important to talk about. Absolutely. Um, truly an issue that that reaches every part of our country. Um, I've never heard the phrase respecting medicine. <laughs> that feels so powerful to me right now. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I, that just seems like something I should have heard before now. Thank you. I love using that term. Um, there's a story that goes behind that, and it's a story of not respecting medicines because I used to have a friend in college who, anytime they would get sick, they would take like DayQuil or NightQuil, but they would chug it right out of the bottle. They wouldn't measure it. They would just chug it. And I remember, I mean, this was even before I ever thought I was going to go to pharmacy school. I'm like, you have to measure that. What are you doing? It literally has directions on it. How are you going to know when you can take it next? Because you don't know how much you took. So you don't even know if you took enough to make yourself feel better. And they just looked at me like, you're so just, you know, crazy. I can't believe that you'd be so worried about it. It's just NyQuil. And one of the interesting things and the reason I share that is, okay, NyQuil and DayQuil are pretty benign, right? They're likely not going to hurt you unless you literally drink the entire bottle it has acetaminophen in it, which is Tylenol, which can poison you, but you'd probably have to drink a lot of it. The point behind that is if we have a mindset that, oh, this is fine, this is safe, this isn't going to hurt me, then how are we going to expect someone who maybe has a surgery and is prescribed an opioid medication? If that person isn't being cautious with NyQuil or DayQuil, how could we expect that person to be responsible with a prescription opioid? The behavior is set. It's not going to change just because it has directions on a different bottle. That person is still not going to be cognizant of what it is, how to store it, how to keep themselves safe with it. 
So I think if we start talking to people about just generalized respect for substances, these are substances, whether or not it is NyQuil or if it is fentanyl. I mean, it's something that is intentionally made to alter your body to make you feel a different way. These, that's the basis upon medications. And so we need to start that conversation much earlier. And a lot of it comes out of young people my own age. I've seen a lot of um, substance use or abuse really in college of people who sell their stimulant medication that's used for ADD and ADHD. And that's a norm. It was so normalized that it was scary to me. And so we have to change those conversations sooner. And so a lot of what I do is going into elementary schools and talking to kids about staying safe with medications, starting that conversation with my friends, being that annoying mom who is like, you know what, you really need to measure that. And people are like, why? And I'm like, just do it. Like you are, you're gonna help yourself later. Um, but I think if we change that culture, we can continue to prevent people misusing medication in the future, which could then lead to addiction if we think of other medications that could be um, those with addictive potentials. They're empowered with knowledge at that point, so it gives them some more confidence on just how to keep their kids safe. Um, but there's a lot of people who can relate to that friend I had that chugged the NyQuil out of the bottle. Uh, and I think that when I relate it to other medications that can become more dangerous, it kind of clicks. And I love to use those kind of analogies because I think that it makes it more relevant for people. Because if you just, you know, tell them what to do and don't give them a reason why or why that's important, it doesn't really stick in the same way. And so I'm always looking for those examples that I can share with people. I mean, even like I talked about pills versus candy throughout my time in Virginia as Miss Virginia, I would go around to elementary schools. I met with 8,000 students and we would play this game called pills versus candy, where we would talk about that sometimes candy and medicine can look the same and why they should not put things in their mouth. Something just as simple as that. And we would play this game where I'd put up one pill and then one piece of candy and they'd have to pick which one was the pill or the candy. And a student told me, you know, oh my gosh, this is so interesting that we play this because when I was little, I took all of my grandfather's blood pressure pills because I thought they were Tic Tacs. And so, I just sit there and I'm like, this is why we play this game because it sounds silly, but if there's one student in that room who might put something in their mouth that they think is something else, or many of those things in that case, then you can, you can quite literally save that person's life potentially, even if it seems so irrelevant. If that one person can make a different decision, if a one college student that I meet with can decide to measure their medication or be more cognizant of storing and disposing of their prescriptions, or a parent who thinks about you know, putting their medications up at a, the highest level in their cabinet or locking them up, if we can prevent the poisonings or any of these things or abuse potential, those are impactful. And the more of those things that you can do, that's really a long-term success. And it's really a collaborative effort. I mean, it's on the part of the educators like yourself and of the young people to, to have and keep that understanding and the adults to, to mind their meds well. Um, can you speak to some of those practical ways that we can all be minding our meds regularly? Absolutely. Number one is measuring. I talked about that, but one of the misconceptions is that you can just use maybe a tablespoon or a teaspoon from your drawer. Don't ever do that. I cannot emphasize that enough. And in pharmacy school, we're literally taught to see how error prone those little tablespoons and teaspoons are. 
especially if you're giving your child a medication, using something like an oral syringe that you can get from your pharmacist to your pharmacy. Those things are so much more accurate. And when you're thinking about a medication, if it's a little too much or a little too little, that can really make a difference, especially with a, a little kid. Um, I am a huge advocate for locking up medications and safely disposing of them. I actually got to work with the DEA this year on their national drug take back days. And I am one of those people, we talked about prevention in the beginning of this. One of the most proactive ways that we can prevent overdoses and poisonings in this country is by safely disposing of medications that we're not using. It gets them completely out of our possession uh, and off the streets if that potentially is a place that they could end up. Get rid of them, throw them away, but throw them away safely. So usually police stations or CVS, or I say CVS like a brand pharmacy, but any chain pharmacy should probably have a safe disposal location. I know my CVS does that I use regularly. Um, those are easy things that you can do, but also having candid conversations with your children about medications. I know my parents, it sounds silly, but from a little age, they were always like, nothing good can come from drugs or alcohol. Like they made it very abundant and clear to me that that was not something that was ever going to add to my life. And so I was going to be more successful if I stayed away from those things. So when I got into situations where that was around me, I was, first of all, I knew my parents would literally kill me, which is a good thing to know when you're a kid and you're faced in that situation. I hope my kids feel that way. Um, but also that I knew that that wasn't going to help me. It was only going to hurt me. And being really realistic with your students and your kids about those things. Um, and for us adults, read directions. It's really simple. You know those people that like just try to build like an Ikea desk or something and they're like, I don't need the directions. Yep. Read the directions on medicines because it is so important. I mean, even just like read the label. It might say put it in the fridge. If you don't put it in the fridge, it's not going to be safe. So it's just simple things that we should already all be doing, but I'm here to remind everyone of that. Uh, don't be afraid to ask questions. I'm always that person that can be stubborn and say like, I don't have any questions, but if you really have one, this isn't just like asking for directions to the local market or store. You're making sure that you know what you're putting in your body. And so that can be really important. Yeah. I think self-advocacy is huge in being responsible with our medications. Um, and while we're talking about this, I just want to put in a little plug to all of our, uh, local listeners in the Valley. Um, your local CSB Northwestern has tools to dispose of medications properly. We have lock boxes to properly store medications, um, and we have our own local uh, locations for drug take back, like Camille was saying. So, and that really applies to everyone. I mean, most CSBs um, have their own strategies and tools for minding your medications. So, I think that's a helpful thing to look out for. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that because it's different in every location. And so you can usually find them on the DEA's website if you're in a different location listening. Um, but they are very, very often in a, a police station or pharmacy as well. So look there if you're in doubt. <laughs> <laughs> a good tip. Um, so Camille, one of the things we say in our department related to opioid use is that everyone has a role. And I think that ties pretty perfectly with your focus on naloxone. Can you tell our listeners what naloxone is and why you feel it's so important to get people trained? Oh my gosh, naloxone is one of my favorite things to talk about um, because I think it's so misunderstood by so many people. 
So for those who don't know what naloxone actually is and does, it's the opioid overdose reversal medication. Um, so it actually, like quite literally, ends and reverses an opioid overdose. And it only does it specifically with opioids. So if you're overdosing on any other type of substance, it won't reverse it. Um, but it is basically, I'm trying to not go into the deep science of this, <laughs> but it will pop the opioid actual drug off of the places in your brain that it's holding onto that prevent you from breathing. And that's the real concern that we have in an overdose situation is that opioids are depressant. They slow our body down. They eventually can stop our breathing depending upon how much we've taken. And that's what leads to deaths from overdose. So the quicker that we can keep that from happening and reverse that, the better outcome that person's going to have. And that's what naloxone can do for people. I relate it a lot to CPR and AED certification, that if someone collapsed, maybe you would be able to perform CPR on that person before emergency responders come. Same thing with naloxone. You can administer it uh, as a layperson to someone who's experiencing overdose, whether or not it's someone that you know or someone that you encounter, and you can give them a second chance at life. Uh, of course, you still call 911 and have that emergency responder on their way, but it's a step that you can take as a bystander to help that person um, be able to continue their life. And I get incredibly frustrated by people who think that naloxone encourages substance use and abuse. Because I talk about how, how would you feel if you had a family member who was diabetic and maybe they really, really, really wanted to eat a bunch of donuts that day and they didn't have enough insulin with them. And that person ended up in a really dangerous situation with their blood glucose. Would you say, oh my gosh, I'm not going to give that person insulin because they made a bad choice. They knew that they had diabetes and now their sugars are too high. That just is terrible. They have to deal with the consequences. That's the attitude that people have with naloxone is that, oh, this person took an opioid medication. They took too much. Maybe they abused it maybe they didn't that's their fault i why should i help them and revive them with naloxone and it frustrates me because it comes from the stigma of these substances some situations it's a complete accident that there's an overdose maybe someone didn't remember that they took a certain medication maybe they took more than they thought but or maybe they were trying to abuse the medication or it's part of an ongoing substance use disorder it doesn't matter the, if you ever want someone to fully recover from this or from substance use disorder, they have to be alive to go to a recovery center and to, to get their life back. So it's a life-saving medication. I could talk for years about it, but I think that it's so important that people really understand what it is because I didn't understand what, what Narcan or Naloxone was until I went to pharmacy school. People think you can use it on yourself. You can't use Narcan on yourself. <laughs> it's not something that you carry. And when you think that you're going to overdose, you, you use. It's something that you can use to help other people. And I carry it at all times with me. Um, it's a nasal spray in most cases. Uh, it's really easy to administer. You can't hurt anyone with it. It's not going to hurt someone if you're wrong and they're not overdosing. But if you're right and they are overdosing, you are going to be the person that saves that person's life. And what an amazing feeling that would be. Um, first of all, I think that's a phenomenal metaphor with diabetes. I've never heard that, but I'm going to use that from now on. Um, I <laughs> love that. 
Um, and also I would love for, I mean, you, you touched on this, but I'd love for you to speak to the power of numbers with naloxone. Um, because it really is, like you said, similar to CPR, you know, what good is it if I'm the only person in the state of Virginia who's CPR certified? Um, but if we've got a ton of people who are CPR certified, then Virginia is a little safer. Can you talk about that with naloxone? I mean, absolutely. If we think about even just the statistics on how many people die of an opioid overdose every day, it's typically, at least in 2017, I think is the most recent data that I've read, was 130 people each day just of an opioid overdose. But more recent data through COVID suggests that it's up near 200. If we think about if everyone in the country was naloxone trained and all of those 200 people that lose their life every day to an opioid overdose was around someone with naloxone, they could have been saved. Their life could have been saved. Like these are preventable deaths. It's not like a disease that continues to break down the body and is something that you know someone passes from. This is a, a acute situation where if administered can reverse the situation and give that person a chance to come back and live. That's really, really impactful when we think about how, how literally all of those 200 people who lose their life if they had been around naloxone could have been saved. So it's kind of like if everyone in the country was CPR certified and so that everyone, you know, of course it's not always going to help in every situation. It's not hundred percent going to, to, there could be other things happening. It's not going to change every outcome, but it could change a lot of them. And you know, we think about COVID, we lose about a thousand people a day right now. If we think about that, okay, well we lose a thousand people from COVID, but we lose about 200 from an opioid overdose. That's like a fifth of the COVID deaths. And we don't even hear about overdoses on TV right now. We, we hear about COVID and we hear about the election. <laughs> and it frustrates me because those lives matter and they need to be talked about more because it's also kind of a, a secondary issue that's come about from being at home. Uh, the underlying mental health conditions of changing our routines and loss of employment. There's so many different pieces that tie into this and it's not getting better. It's getting worse. Yeah, it, it's chilling to think of this epidemic that's really being buried beneath mm -hmm. the pandemic that we aren't paying attention to, but is happening in our communities. Absolutely. I actually did an event with the NIH earlier this year, which talked about these as syndemics. So basically different types of epidemics happening at the same time and feeding off of each other which was a really interesting concept that I never really thought about. And so we think of things like mental health and substance use disorders coming about with this and how they all tie into each other and how many different things happen under the surface um, and really get brushed under the rug. And I think that a lot of it goes back to that stigma piece. There's not a stigma around getting COVID. It's, oh my gosh, I can't believe my loved one got COVID. It's, a different situation when your child or your mother or your sister is using heroin. You don't want to tell people that because you're embarrassed and we need to change that mindset um, so that it can be really no different than any other disease. It's just something that has to be managed like any other mental health condition uh, or any other chronic uh, ailment. So Camille, from my perspective, your work as Miss America really comes down to engaging 
with people and getting people engaged with their communities. So if someone is listening to this conversation and is feeling inspired and motivated, where can they go to learn more about prescription safety and opioid use in the US? And then what can they do to make an impact? I think that the best thing that anyone could do is talk to your local pharmacist. <laughs> I think that one of the things I get to do this year is talk about my own profession. Uh, and pharmacists are so underutilized in this. They are the medication experts. And so if you ever have a question about substance use disorder, um, about feeling compulsions to take more of a medication that you're on, or even if you wanna learn more about naloxone and how you can help be that first responder, your pharmacist is always gonna be someone that can help you. They're the person that knows that information, that's their job, and they will probably be thrilled if you come up to them and ask them a question about naloxone or something like that. I know that I've heard so many pharmacists tell me how excited they get when people are asking questions and engaging and wanting to understand. Um, your local health department is another great place that you can go if you're looking to get naloxone trained um, or even find ways that you can help in your own community, especially if you're a healthcare provider by background and you have medical training. A lot of those organizations are happy and looking to have people come in and help be able to be that liaison into the community who have personal connections. So your help is 100% well utilized in those organizations. Um, but I think the biggest thing when we think about this entire process and what everyone can do to help is to really learn a little bit more about substance use disorders, to understand how addiction functions as a disease and to really see that. Maybe you know, go and watch some stories, maybe watch The Pharmacist on Netflix. I've gotten to collaborate with The Pharmacist in that docuseries. Start to understand how substance use disorder really penetrates our communities. I promise if you hear the stories from people who face this every day, you will have a very different outlook. You won't see these people as people that just make bad choices and continue to make bad choices. You'll be able to see people that are struggling and are facing a really difficult disease to overcome without help. And that is something that I think will change our entire community and country's mindset on substance use and can be the catalyst for positive change in this. Because if we create a supportive community for people facing this, it's going to be a lot easier for those people to find resources, to find better jobs when they come out of these situations. Um, it's difficult, even when you've overcome these disorders, to then reintegrate into normal society because there's this shadow cast upon you because you faced something like this. And we can all make a difference in changing that for people so that we can love them for who they are. And you know, maybe even if it is a bad decision, one bad decision doesn't make a bad person. We've all made stupid choices in our life. I mean, I know I have, um, and it doesn't make me a bad person. It doesn't make anyone a bad person for something that they've done. And so we need to give people grace. Um, I think that that's a lost art sometimes now in our communities. That's the best thing that people can do. Just love, love everyone that you meet, even if they've been through a difficult past. Yeah, I think that empathy is an underutilized tool in, in understanding substance use within our communities. And I love that you use the word grace. I think that's a little more grace and a little more empathy would make a pretty massive difference. 
So true. In so many ways, I have to say, but especially with substance use disorder, uh, I know that I think I've, my perception, even throughout this, I was never a person that really felt like it was a choice, but I guess in the back of my head, I kind of did originally just a little bit. It was like, well, you do have to like choose to do it, but understanding the way that the brain works and the compulsions that can come about through these types of disorders. And the more that I learn, the more and more empathy that I gain. Um, and people that overcome substance use disorder, honestly, are some of the strongest people that I've met. So I am always so empowered and encouraged by people that I meet like that. I wholeheartedly agree. I, I think people who are working through this and overcoming it are the bravest, truly. Absolutely. That's an understatement. <laughs> yes. So as Miss America 2020, you have been given a very unique year in this role, um, but it's just exciting to know that you're still finding ways to connect with and educate communities all across the United States. Um, how can our listeners keep up with you and your work as you continue on in this year? Absolutely. So I, you can find me on social media. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And it is just my name, at Camille Schreier. But if you want to follow Miss America as a whole, the organization, including all of our other title holders, you can follow us at Miss America on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If there's any parents watching who maybe are looking for activities they could do with their kids at home related to science, I actually got a wonderful opportunity to work with PBS in Central Virginia doing a mini science series called Cooking Up Science with Miss America. So if you're interested in watching that with your students or your kids, definitely Google PBS VPM Cooking Up Science with Miss America and you can watch my first six episodes which are up and then there are three more coming very soon. That's so fun. I know plenty of parents who are looking for really anything to do with their kids right now. Exactly. I'm sure that's appreciated. (laughs) It's been hard to adapt to being a virtual Miss America, but coming up with things like science shows and videos and being able to create virtual science content has been wonderful. It's been a little bit more difficult to transition the advocacy for medication safety and abuse prevention to a virtual platform, Uh, but I'm doing what I can. And even just talking about it on podcasts like this is such a a wonderful way to get the word out. Um, So I'm grateful for you giving me the platform to talk about this as well. Yeah. So we're so glad that you could be here. And um, I just have one last question and we ask this to all of our guests. What does the process of awareness to action mean to you? Mm. I think, Ooh, what does that process mean to me? I think that the process of awareness to action to me ultimately is the success that we're looking for. Because if I can be the person that spreads awareness, that's what I feel like my ultimate goal is through being Miss America and talking about these issues and telling people the things that they can do to make a difference. If that translates into action from the people that I'm talking to, that's the ultimate goal of what I'm able to do. That is the success. And so I think that that translation is what I ultimately look for. And so that's, that's the goal. That is success. So I would say that's what that means to me. That's great. Um, thank you for being here, Camille. We are so grateful for the work you do and for all the ways you've raised awareness about these incredibly important topics. And we just feel really lucky that we got to spend some time with Miss America today. So thanks for being here. 
Thank you so much. And I am looking forward to being back in uh, your neck of the woods in Richmond as I continue on with my education at VCU coming very soon. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe to Awareness to Action so you can hear all of the incredible conversations we have coming up. You'll see a new episode from us on January 5th. Until then, have a happy new year and we'll see you in 2021.